0: gang, the Splendid Bohemians with you, asking you if you'd like to walk right in and sit right down, because we have put on a bunch of, put on a stack, put on 45s. This is the show, put on a stack of 45s. I'm Rich Bucklin with my partner Bill Mesnick. You remember the Rooftop <laughs> Singers, huh?
1: Of course. Of course. Um, walk right in, 1962. And we're talking about this in the context of the great label Vanguard. And this was Vanguard's biggest hit. It went to number one on the pop chart, number four on the R&B chart, number 20 on the country chart, B-side,
0: Cool Water. Cool Water. Thank you for being able to identify the B-side.
1: Now, before we, before we get into the, uh, the, the multifaceted different areas, talking about that song, and, and, and in context of the urban folk boom and what Eric Darling, the part that he had in all this, there's so much to discuss. But briefly, talk about Gus Cannon's Jug Stompers in 1929.
0: Well, you know, we're going back to the rules. And um, if old school rules, here's a here's a great identification of that. Um, th- I mean, there are there's a type of music that is been lost for the most part, and um, that's why jazz is is cherished by many because it seems to have faded away and continues to fade away. Um, These jug band records, these these up-tempo recordings that were so... Which Harry Smith
1: pretty much uh, exhumed from the dead, right?
0: Yeah, Harry Smith created an anthology that is um, heralded in the folk community and in the music community at large as being uh, recordings dug up and... uh, archived so we have a good idea of where music came from where it went where it's going and how it some of it hits a wall but Larry well, yeah.
1: Smith was an obsessive collector yes, and during was. the war boom when they were destroying all of the shell they needed the shellac or whatever so they were destroying all the 78s he started hoarding them and collecting them and category you know cataloging them because he—that's the way his mind worked.
0: Right, right. He was quite obsessive and he was quite compulsive. I remember Ed Sanders talking about him, uh, of the Fugs and uh, the great poet and writer. And he spoke about he could be very, very difficult because of his obsessive compulsive nature. He—he um, he also kept clippings. He clipped everything, um, kind of like Joe Franklin, but with a high, <laughs> with with a more. Well, that's that's not kind to say because Joe Franklin had this showbiz uh, hoarding nature. And uh, yeah. I was once in his Times Square office and I can tell you that he had things <laughs> literally piled to the ceiling. Uh, Harry Smith's, uh, where he kept his stuff, I don't know. But uh, there are people that want to keep as much of a record as they can of everything that uh, comes down the pike. Harry Smith w- was was certainly one of them, and yes, Gus Cannon's work is uh, is is fascinating work. How much? Yeah. When did you first become familiar with uh, with Gus Cannon?
1: Well, that, at, during Harry's on Harry Smith's anthology on his anthology, and, and which was originally released in 1952, and sparked this whole new generation urban folk boom which Walk Right In is kind of a descendant of. Right. But by that time, it was top of the charts. But initially, all of these kids were learning these songs and turning them into, well, stealing the um, the copyrights and um, turning them into white bread versions. And uh, I, the only band that really tried to, I think, capture that sound was the New Lost City Ramblers and they had a, a pretty authentic sound but then when the Harry Smith anthology was re-released on CD in the 90s what,
0: what year was it? Do you have that information? Do. I'm not certain as to when it, when the re-release was but... Um,
1: I think it was either in the late 90s or the early 2000s I acquired it and then I started learning those songs So how do you...
0: So, when you put in perspective as to how Walk Right In fits into this whole curve, um, do you think that in 1962, given the, the whole folk upheaval that was going on, uh, would you consider this it's difficult for us to, to ascertain, other than it was on the radio all the time? But if we were hanging out in Washington Square Park, and we were had guitars and we were playing with everyone else. This is probably one of the songs that resounded the most. Quite possibly, you know, even at that my young age,
1: it sounded hokey to me, and I never liked the Kingston Trio, and you know that whole the whole kind of commercialization of folk music, um, I didn't respond to um, at all. I I I go back now and I find it. Charming, and inventive, and Eric Darling, and Bill um, Swano, and Lynn Taylor, who later committed suicide. I found out
0: fifty-two um, years of age. Yes. Yeah,
1: they uh, they came up with an innovative two twelve-string guitar um, accompaniment, and um, it's you know it's perfectly perfectly acceptable. Recycled folk music.
0: So how would you with a pop edge. So here's an interesting question. Given the novelties that were presiding after that, how would you categorize a song like Winchester Cathedral?
1: Same sort of same. I mean it's kind of a It's music hall, but that's music. What do they call it? Pastiche. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. So it's a sort of phony music hall. And that was a sort of British invasion. Unfortunate Characteristic
0: Yeah but there are I think the point is That there are These musical styles That Found a way Into the top ten And Yeah
1: And Paul McCartney Wrote Honey Pie And and when I'm 64 Using the same Type of Arrangements
0: Well Paul was Deeply influenced By his father Who was Influenced by The London Palladium Vaudevillian Circuits of the day Uh and still is to a to a very large degree. Um, right. So let's talk a little bit about Maynard Solomon because Maynard okay. Solomon had this fascinating career. Uh, Maynard Solomon was a Marxist, and everything that he did was founded uh, based in his uh, Marxist views. He began presiding over classical music. Yes. His obsession was classical music. And went Wrote on a couple
1: to, of very important biographies, which Beethoven, and Mozart, which and Schubert.
0: They're criticized, but they're also debated as having been not necessarily as authentic as uh, as as they could have been but they are held still
1: why because you said schubert was gay
0: well yes and a number of other there are things that that we we're not certain of um... <laughs> I mean, history itself is, is, is profoundly funny because we look at today's world where everything is pretty well taped and interneted, and there's a record of everything. It still strikes me. It's still so interesting to me that people were, are, are able to write biographies and try to have an authentic view of what actually occurred heard in the 1600s, the 1700s, the 1800s. And when you have music involved where there's no known recordings of Beethoven, no known recordings of Mozart, no known recordings of Schubert, we don't really know how great musicians these were. We only know how great their writing capacities were. True. Uh, So Solomon was, uh, uh, Solomon was obsessed With this, but he was also. So he started this label with his brother? Yes, started the label with his brother. And his political background, of course, created the notion to be able to um, utilize the label for things political and therefore signs the Weavers.
1: Right. And Eric Darling of the Rooftop Singers uh, replaced Pete Seeger, did he not, in the Weavers?
0: Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And uh, the fine banjo player, Eric Darling, um, I don't think it's spoken about enough as far as his influences on the day. But then again, you know, when musical trends change, people seem to fade into the, uh, you know, they, they fade into forever.
1: He was also in the Tarriers with Alan Arkin. Yes. And they created the <laughs> Banana Boat song. <laughs>
0: Yes, the Banana Boat song.
1: yeah. So he had a pretty a pretty varied and interesting career. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Died in 2008. Yes, yeah. Uh,
0: Solomon also acquired the rights to, re- to release material from the Newport Folk Festival, which...
1: That, if, that was a game changer.
0: I mean, that was essentially, when you hear those early Joan Baez and Dylan recordings and you hear... Uh, Jim Garland's. I don't want your millions, Mister. Uh, you 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 hear uh, a variety of folk songs and artists that are that he understood were of major import, uh, and would continue to be of major import to historians and to uh, to those. Who Ian treasure. and
1: Sylvia, Mimi and Dick Perina. John Fahey Sandy Bull Remember Sandy Bull Sandy Bull Siegel Band, Jerry Jeff mm-hmm. Eric Anderson Buffy St. Marie
0: Jim Queskin Good of, good lineup And of course The, the most The most successful Of the rock era On that label Country Joe and the Fish Country Joe and the Fish Give me an F Yeah Country Joe and the Fish Tom Paxton Yeah Tom Paxton And his songwriting Contributions are, enorm- are Enormous Um there's so many artists that Vanguard has produced. And, of course, the Joan Baez recording of The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down, as well as her version of There But For Fortune, uh, were surprise hits. The night
2: they drove old Dixie down And all the bells were ringing The night they drove old Dixie down And all the people were singing, they went
0: integrity of the music and the desire to release these things is what I believe stands. But none were as big as Walk Right In. That was it for 45 RPM and for the ability to get radio airplay and uh, all of the things that meant something if you were attempting to uh, have a commercial success. That's what Walk right in, accomplished for Vanguard Records, and uh, Vanguard is one of those labels that, uh, along with Elektra, um, you have to cherish as being the uh, the prestige labels. <laughs>
2: your mind Everybody's talking about a
0: my friends the times they are changing are they not yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) hang on to your hats hang on to your hats ladies and gentlemen because who knows who knows where the time goes and who knows where we all go the shadow knows the shadow knows and even the shadow ain't talking these days ladies and gentlemen thank you for being with us i'm rich buckland my partner bill mesnick all we can say is When you have an opportunity, put on a stack of 45s, drop that spindle, let that needle just roll around those grooves, and you have a good time. We will see you soon. Thank you. Love you, Bill. Bless you.